mentioned last week, there are a lot of things that place themselves under the label of Christian. I, I just out of curiosity had looked at Amazon in their books section under the title Christian, right? The, the Christian book section, and there were 80,000 books available. Now, I hope you recognize there's not 80,000 good books for you to read out there. So how do you know? How do you know which ones are right? It's important to realize this because, as we saw several weeks ago, what you put into your soul, what you fill your mind with is what you are. It's what you become. And so you emulate the kind of teaching, the kind of reading, the kind of study that you consume. So it's vital that you fill your mind and your heart and your soul with that which is right, correct, according to God's word. So how do you judge between what's good teaching and what's not? And how do you tell if that book that calls itself Christian or that Bible study that calls itself Christian or that teacher or preacher that calls themselves Christian is indeed good? As we said last week, if we're honest, most of us judge it simply by do we like it? But does it seem good? Does it make us feel good? Does it encourage us? Does it align with what we already think? Is it energetic? Is it entertaining? No, well, then if that's the case, it must be good. That's really a bad way to judge things. Is that really the best way? Well, as Paul began 1 Timothy, he presented the characteristics of false teaching. We saw 1 Timothy 1. He says in verse 3, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor devote themselves to myth and endless genealogies, which promote speculation rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law, without understanding either what they say or saying the things about which they make confident assertions. To study scriptures, you look at books, you are able to understand often what the books are about by looking at what they begin with and what they end with. What does the writer say at the beginning of the book? What does the writer say at the end of the book? Well, Paul begins the book by talking about these false teachers and how to identify bad teaching. He ends the book with the same thing. We see here in 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 12, that he tells us how to identify false, bad teaching and good teaching. And it tells us that this is what we've been looking at throughout 1 Timothy. This is what the book's about. How to identify right church. How to identify right teaching. What is it supposed to look like? Well, he tells us how to judge between good and false teaching. We noted last week, we observed that Paul presented for us the marks of false teachers. This week, we will look at the marks of godly men. So let's read through it. We'll begin with the final phrase of verse 2 and read all the way through verse number 12. He says, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness... He's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissensions, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. 
imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, about which you, may be, you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So in this section, we see what good teaching is like. He reminds us that we are to present good teaching. We're to value what is right because the cost is grave. So Timothy is to present to continue to present himself with right teaching. And Paul moves into the importance of identifying those who are the false teachers, damaging the work of God. We saw these last week. These are the kinds of books and resources and teachers and podcasts and Bible studies that you need to avoid. So by way of quick review, let's remind ourselves of what we saw last week, the marks of false teaching. Now, at the outset, we need to come to the conclusion that there are men and women claiming to be teachers of God, claiming to be providing good Christian resources to the church that are false teachers. They're wrong. They're fake. They're dangerous. Just because they claim to be Christian, just because something claims to be Christian and good does not mean that it is. In fact, I would go so far as to say in our current culture that most of what claims to be good Christian teaching and resources are not, in fact, good Christian resources. Further, these false teachers never present themselves that way. As Satan, they present themselves as angels of light. They always come with teaching that sounds nice, that feels good, that aligns with our thinking, our selfish, carnal thinking, and ultimately leads us away. Christ warns us of this in Matthew 7. We saw this last week. Beware false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Good trees bear good fruit. Bad trees bear bad fruit. We can identify these false teachers by their fruit, by the marks that they present. Paul gives us four specific marks that we looked at last week for identifying these false teachers. First, they fail to teach the word. He says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine that does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, that teaching accords or the teaching that accords with godliness. False teachers are not committed to Scripture. They use Christian words. They like to speak about God and about Jesus and about the Holy Spirit. They they feign allegiance to the word, but they don't actually Uh, preach or teach the word. They're not committed to it. They're committed to their own philosophy. They're committed to their own ideas. And they use the word as the word fits those ideas and philosophies. And if it doesn't fit, they set it aside. They'll either add to it. They'll take away from it. They'll interpret it outside of its context. 
They'll add other revelations to it, or sometimes they deny it altogether. They love to argue from logic and philosophy and personal experience and feeling and emotion, but they don't take the Scripture. They don't exposit the full text of Scripture and present God's thoughts. They use the word when it agrees with what they think, and when it doesn't, they discard it or ignore it. They're not faithful to Scripture. They emphasize other things besides the words. They emphasize experience, feeling, politics, but never sound right teaching of the word. They may even sound spiritual. Sometimes they even emphasize worship, but they don't emphasize the word. So we said last week, this is why when we gather together, we try to emphasize the word. We read the word. We sing the word. We pray the word. We preach the word. We picture the word so that we will learn to live the word because it's all about the word. So beware the church that spends all its time singing and very little time reading and preaching and praying because false teachers are not truly interested in the word. They're interested in the experience. But in order to identify these false teachers, We have to be grounded in the word for only then will we know if they are grounded in the word. False teachers ignore the word. Secondly, they're arrogant and ignorant. That's verse four. They're puffed up with conceit and understand nothing. They believe that they have all the answers. They've done the the work. They've discovered the secret. They've figured out the answer, but it's not actually from the word because they don't need that. No, they're arrogant. The problem is because they've rejected the word, they don't actually have the answer. And so, therefore, they are also ignorant. Beware the resource or the teacher who gives you the secret. The secret to being happy or the secret to success or the secret to your problem. But that secret does not begin and end with take your Bibles and turn to. And begin to exposit and lay out that text. Third, the false teacher loves controversy. They love to speculate about things. They're preoccupied with sounding really smart and coming up with the latest theories. They love to argue about life. They're they're quick to argue about politics and life and theology and social media is their haven. They love to comment under everyone's posts with their own arguments and opinions because they live for conflict. The result of these conflicts, these controversies, these war words is destruction. He says it produces envy and dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. It results in envy. They're jealous of what the other person has, the following they have. They're angry that others would listen to those other people and not to them. This leads to dissension because they can't admit that they're wrong But they may not be right. And because they're not interested in what the Bible actually says, they can't allow the Bible to settle the matter. And so they go on the offensive and begin to argue, begin to fight for their position and their rights. This turns to slander because then the name calling begins. Rather than trust the validity of their arguments, they resort to name calling and calling uh, into question the character of their opponents. That turns to evil suspicion. They begin to to become suspicious even of the very motives of their opponents. They can't assume good motives. 
So that opponent must simply be evil. They can't both want what's good for others or legitimately be attempting to help others. So they must be suspicious of them. Reminded in 1 Corinthians 13 that this is the opposite of love because love hopes all things. Love believes all things. And when one is bitter towards another and hostile towards them and slanderous towards them and suspicious of them, the result can be nothing than ongoing conflict. He calls it constant friction. They can't get along. There's no hope of resolution. And the end is spiritual darkness. They're depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Those false teachers, those carnal people are so completely occupied with themselves and their own interests that in their hearts, there's neither time nor room for God and his revealed truth. And they are depraved when scripture is brought to the situation, when it is presented in context, they pass it off simply as, well, that's just your interpretation of it. That's just your idea of what it means. Their minds are so corrupted that they're unwilling to listen to the word so that they actually end up depriving themselves of the truth. Beware of the people who are quick to argue. Beware of the people who are always unhappy and angry. Beware of the people who dismiss the word of God because it doesn't fit what they think. It's a sign of a false teacher. Finally, we saw that a false teacher lacks contentment. They imagine that godliness is gain. And Paul goes on to talk about this call for contentment. Behind this false facade, these false teachers actually are simply about gain. Money and recognition and power. But Paul contrasts the false teacher's desire for gain with true gain. Because godliness with gain is gain. Even great gain. Providing you mean spiritual gain. And provided that it's combined with contentment. You see, the godly ministry recognizes eternal gain over earthly gain, while the false teacher has to have earthly gain. But it misses the reality of eternity. Paul argues that our entrance into life and our exit from life are the same. We come with nothing and we leave with nothing. We take nothing with us. But contentment in the present depends on a belief in a future that is independent of material things. You see, people are truly rich when they're content with what they have. The richest person is the one who doesn't need anything else because he trusts that God will supply his needs. And so there's a danger to desiring to be rich. It causes a man to fall, verse 9. They fall into temptation that they would not otherwise face. A snare laid by the devil. And having fallen, they, they plunge beneath the surface into ruin. There's a progression to the logic that Paul follows there. The desire to be rich leads a person to fall off the cliff into a special temptation. The temptation in turn leads one into the devil's snare. And once caught into that snare, they're plunged beneath the surface with foolish and harmful passions resulting in ruin and destruction. It's like the Roman proverb. Money is like seawater. The more you drink, the thirstier you get. Further, it's the root of all kinds of evil. They've gained the world. They have all kinds of stuff in this life, but they forfeited the next. One man said, the fact is contentment does not come from owning whatever we want. For there's no end to whatever we want. A Christian approach to life can never make a central feature the acquisition of material things. False teachers are all about this life. On the other hand, there are marks which a godly man demonstrates. These marks demonstrate we should follow their teaching 
So this week, let's examine the marks of a godly man. Verse 11. But as for you, O godly man, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Here we find four marks of a godly man. Having presented the marks of the false teacher, Paul encourages Timothy to be different. He begins with a plea. But as for you, O godly man, don't be like that. Instead, be a godly man. And here's what that looks like. And he gives four marks that the godly man is to exemplify. First, good teaching. Right teachers flee temptation. He says, oh, godly man, flee these things. Run from these things. Have nothing to do with these things. What are these things? Well, these are the things, the marks of the false teaching Paul has just discussed. While the false teacher fails to teach the word, the man of God is to run from that kind of teaching. He's not to engage it. He's not to discuss it. He's to run from it. He's to found himself in the word of God. While the false teacher is arrogant and ignorant, believing that he has found the secret, the godly man runs from that kind of thinking. He grounds his thinking in the word of God and he sources all of his teaching in the word of God. And he's humble because he recognizes that the teaching is not his own, but the teaching of the chief shepherd. While the false teacher loves controversy, loves to argue his opinion, the godly man runs from arguments over myths and endless genealogies. He doesn't spend his days on social media engaging in debates. Actually, he ignores the debate. He doesn't even give it time. He doesn't even give it thoughts. While the false teacher lives for money, the godly man runs from the temptation that money brings. He finds contentment in Christ. Like Paul, he declares, I've learned the secret to living with nothing and living with plenty of being full and being hungry. The secret is my relationship with Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ is everything to me. So I'm content with him and his provision. I'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, knowing that all I need will be provided. You see, the godly man runs from temptation. He doesn't play around with it. He doesn't engage it. He doesn't argue it. When it's brought to him, when it comes across his social media feed, he deletes it and ignores it. He doesn't mess around with it. See, false teaching loves that controversy. It loves to stir things up. It loves its own thinking. But right teaching simply says, let's go to the word over and over and over. And a friend who was candidating at a church. And every time they asked a question, he said, well, here's what the Bible says. And he opened it up and he shared what it said. And after about a half hour of that, one person finally says, you think all the answers are there, don't you? And he said, yes. Yes. 
All the answers are there. We're going to the Word. He flees temptation. He remains faithful to his call. He doesn't seek fame or recognition. He doesn't seek the accolades of this world. He remains faithful to his calling from God in preaching the word. Secondly, we see the mark of a right teacher, of a right resource, is that it pursues spiritual fruit. It pursues spiritual fruit. He says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Does that list sound familiar? It should. We see a very similar list in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit. Instead of pursuing the fleeting things of this world, recognition and money and toys and winning the argument, his own rights, the man of God pursues the things which last for eternity. He pursues spiritual fruits. Paul challenges Timothy. Pursue these things. That word pursue is an interesting word. It's actually a word we could translate as hunt. Hunt it down. Over the last four years, I've learned that hunting is a year-round endeavor. You put out your trail cams. You create places for the animals to pass through. You set up your blinds and your tree stands. When the time comes, you make sure you're dressed correctly. You smell right. Your weapons are in good working order, right? Hunting is a serious endeavor. It's a big deal. That same effort should be put in to stalking down and capturing the fruit of the Spirit. Paul lists six specific character traits the good teacher pursues. He pursues righteousness. It's a word which means justice or justness or right useness. It means to live a life that is right with God. It refers to the person who diligently seeks to obey the demands of Scripture laid down on the believer. It means that we live in accordance with God's will in a way that is pleasing to Him. While the false teacher fails to follow the word, the man of God longs to follow the word. While the false teacher plays games with the word of God, the man of God seeks to align his life in every way with the word of God. The man of God longs to be marked by righteousness. Now, There's two things we need to note here. First, righteousness, a life which is marked by obedience to God, doesn't just happen. You don't just accidentally become righteous. It must be pursued. Following God takes hard work. It means you have to discipline yourself to do the hard work to discover what the Bible says and to obey it. It means righteousness doesn't just happen by sitting in a pew for an hour on Sunday and calling it good. Righteousness is an everyday, year-long, hard-work endeavor. You have to hunt it down. Second, when we long for righteousness, God will fulfill that longing. 
We're reminded of Christ's statement in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. When we hunger for righteousness, like the one who's not been able to eat, and thirst for righteousness, like the one who's walking through the desert, we will be satisfied. God will bring our lives into conformity with his desires. We'll find true satisfaction and joy. So as you examine that book or sermon or teaching or website or other thing, labeling itself as Christian, you must ask, one, is this person a righteous person? Do they exemplify Christ? And two, Will they drive me or will this drive me towards Christ? Or will this simply make me feel good about myself? You see, the godly man pursues righteousness. Secondly, he pursues godliness or piety. Godliness is the technical term that Paul uses for a life fully consecrated and given to God. It's not about acquiring better material stuff. It's about an active life of faith, living out a righteous life, living out a life consecrated and dedicated towards God. What's your life about? If we were asked to describe you, how would we do it? And would it include things like they are all about God? Period. They love God. That is what the mark of a godly teacher, godly resources are. All about God. The godly man lives a life that's all about about God. Everything is for him. The entire life is marked by serving God. These first two character traits indicate that that the good teacher, the good resource, lives a life and pursues a life and encourages a life that exudes God. When squeezed, God comes out. Third, though, we see that a good resource, godly teaching, a godly man pursues faith. It's a word meaning trust or belief. Their, marked is, their life is marked by faith in God. They follow the teachings of Scripture in every way because they trust God. Their lives are marked by what it means to be a Christian. This idea of faith is not blind trust, but rather a dogged commitment and obedience to the word of God. Every decision, every circumstance, they run to the word of God. They don't run to social media. They don't run to the Constitution. They don't run to law. They run to the word of God and say, what does this book say about this situation? What does this book say about how we should respond in this situation? What does this book say about how I should react to this situation? And whether or not it is popular, whether or not it feels good, whether or not it even seems like the best thing to do, they're going to do it because they're marked by faith in God. He will work it out in the end. So I will trust him and I will obey him, period. They're marked 
by a love for the word and a dogged commitment to obeying it, to living out their faith. Next, they are marked or pursue love. This love is that agape love. Self-sacrificial, others-motivated, Christ-like love. True men of God love others. They sacrifice, they serve, they care for others. We're reminded that greatness in the kingdom of God is marked by service. The ones who we are to follow, the ones who we are to listen to, are the ones who give their lives in service to others. While the false teachers seek material gain, the godly man seeks to give himself for others. Next, the godly man pursues steadfastness. Steadfastness. This is a word which means patient endurance. As the world continues to degrade, the false teachers will read the room and teach what is popular. They latch on to the latest teachings about justice. They promote the modern self-help philosophy. They seek to help people be comfortable instead of godly. Because standing for truth will become more and more unpopular, even among Christians. But the man of God will teach the word regardless of whether the audience likes the message. And when the arrows fly, they endure. They don't waver. They don't falter. They don't stop. Instead, they press forward in defending and standing on the truth. They're not swayed by public opinion or pressure, but instead continue in faithfulness to their divine calling. They continually stand on the word in faithfulness to it, regardless of whether the message is one that people want to hear. They're willing to say hard things. Find preachers and resources that are willing to tell you things from the word of God that you don't necessarily want or like to hear. Find men who are steadfast. This is going to become even more vital as our world degrades. Because more and more, Christianity will become less and less tolerated. And soon, we will be seen as the enemy. And it will be easy to change the message in order to be accepted. Already, we are seeing many changing the message in order to be accepted. Some are changing the message to a nationalistic message. They're preaching rights rather than the word because it's what people want to hear. Others are changing the message to tolerate and accommodate the sexual revolution. And allowing things that God says are wrong and wicked and evil. Because they don't want to rock the boat. Others are giving in in many ways. And standing for truth will mean that it will come with consequence. 
So find the resources. Find the teachers. Find the preachers that are willing even now to say the hard things, the things you don't want to hear, the things that you don't necessarily like because they're taking the word of God and they're breaking it apart passage by passage and saying what it says. They're willing to go to Romans 1 and demonstrate the wickedness of the sexual revolution. They're willing to go to Romans 13 and demonstrate the necessity for Christians to submit to government in areas that government has right oversight to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. They're willing to go to Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8 and tell you that you ought to love one another regardless of difference of opinion. They're willing to say hard things because they won't falter. They won't waver. That's the mark of a godly man, the mark of a good resource. You see, the godly man pursues faithfulness, steadfastness, endurance. Finally, the godly man pursues gentleness. It's a word which means me, often is translated as meekness. You see, this steadfastness, this willingness to stand for truth is not harsh. It's marked by gentleness. Now, this word is not easily defined, though, because it is a little bit of a different word than you see elsewhere translated as gentleness or meekness. You see, this word occurs only here in the New Testament. It's a combination of two words put together to form this word. One word that means gentle and another word, the form of a word that means to suffer. To suffer gently. So it seems to carry the idea of gentleness in the midst of suffering. When they're attacked, they respond with gentleness and stand for truth. When they see disobedience, they respond with truth and love. While the false teachers love controversy and argue their points, the man of God is marked by gentleness. See, the godly man pursues spiritual fruit. Third, the third mark of a godly man, the third mark of right resources, they fight the fight of faith. Verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. You see, while the godly man is gentle, he's not passive. While he's marked by love, he does not sit on the sidelines. The man of God is committed to the fight of faith. The word fight means exactly what you think it means. It's a struggle. It's to strive to, to carry on the contest, the battle. It's a present imperative, meaning that this is a never-ending struggle. The fight doesn't end until you stand before God. You see, the reality is that we are all in a war. And this war is taking place for the souls of men. The war is not about a virus. The war is about your soul. There's a a war taking place for it, and we're to fight the fight of faith. You see, for the believer, his life is a struggle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. He understands that this fight is ultimately against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places, Ephesians 6.12. He says, as a Christian, you can't live a passive life. You have to fight 
for your life. The man of God recognizes this and fights for his spiritual life and the spiritual life of those he shepherds. He fights the good fight for the faith. Finally, the man of God grasps eternity. He says in verse 12, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He says, latch onto, grasp, get a good grip on eternity. Like the pit bull that grabs its victim, refuses to let go. So the godly man grabs on to eternity and will not let go. His life is all about the kingdom of God. He'll not be swayed. He'll not be distracted. He doesn't live for some earthly kingdom. He doesn't live for any worldly thing. Instead, he's all about eternity. See, godly men and godly resources are not worried about you living your best life now. Godly men and godly resources are not terribly concerned, girl, about you feeling good about yourself. Godly men and godly resources are concerned that you are ready for eternity. They're willing to say the hard things because eternity is what matters. They encourage you to find joy in eternity. Not in this life. They encourage you to live for eternity. Not for this life. They're all about the the kingdom of God. Christian, if you want to find satisfaction and joy in this life. You must cling to eternity. If you want to live a life that is effective. You must cling to eternity. Your life and my life must be all about eternity. Grab onto eternal life and do not let it go. That's our calling. That's your calling. There's a lot of false teaching masquerading as godly teaching out there. There's a lot of junk out there. There's a lot of subpar teaching out there. With all that's available, why would you settle for anything that is less than excellent? Stop judging the value of a resource or the value of a teaching by how it makes you feel. Stop using resources just because they make you feel good or reinforce what you already think. Instead, seek resources that will force you into the word of God. In fact... Use the word of God instead. Follow men of God who run from false teaching, who pursue fruit of the spirit, who are willing to fight for the faith and who lay hold on, grasp and love eternity. Remind you of last week's applications and then I'll give you four more. Reminded last week, based on the marks of the false teachers, make the word of God the measure of truth. Not you, not your thinking, not pragmatism, not anything else. The word of God in context alone. Second, remember that good teaching produces good fruit. Good teaching will produce good fruit. 
If you find yourself stagnant, it means you're not listening to good teaching. Number three, remember that good teaching keeps the main thing the main thing. And what's the main thing? The gospel of Christ. That's the main thing. It's all about the kingdom of God. So good teaching keeps the main thing the main thing. Finally, learn to be content with what God gives you. This week, let me give you four more. Four more applications based on the marks of good teaching. The marks of a godly man. Number one, run from sin. Don't play with it. Don't get as close as you can to it. Run from it. Stop asking what's wrong with and start asking why is this best. Flee temptation. Flee these things. Number two, pursue spiritual fruit. Hunt it down. As hard as you work on all those other things, work on spiritual fruit that way. Get in the word, mine out its riches, spend time in prayer, serve God, pursue spiritual fruits. Number three, fight for your faith. If we fought for our faith as hard as we fight for our freedom, we'd be in a great place. Fight for your faith. Fight for your walk with God. Finally, grasp onto eternity. If you live for this world, if you live for the things of this world, you will end up a bitter and angry and unhappy person because this world is fleeting and futile. But eternity does not waver. Eternity does not change. So grasp onto the kingdom of God and live for that life. Run to Jesus. Turn your eyes to him. And watch this world fade away. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again that you have not left us without instruction. Lord, there is so much in this world that demands our attention. So much that claims to be right and good. So give us discernment. Help us to try the spirits to see whether or not they are indeed from you. And to reject those that are not. Help us to pursue the marks of godly men. That in the end, you might say, well done, good and faithful servants. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.